We meet today in Psalm chapter 40 and Psalm chapter 41. In these two Psalms, I'm going to look at some selected verses, not all of them. These two messianic Psalms conclude the Genesis section of the Psalms. They are so-called messianic because they are quoted in the New Testament with a specific reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. This makes these Psalms very important to us. Psalm chapter 40 is a messianic psalm predicting the crucifixion of Christ. In this psalm, the poles of thanksgiving and lament are so distinct that some actually are tempted to divide this psalm into two separate psalms. I would hasten to say, this is not necessary. Since the man of God can present his lament and petition to God, while at the same time offering thanksgiving. It can happen that through thanksgiving, you also offer your lament. The thanksgiving is offered in verses 1 to verse 8 of Psalm chapter 40. The psalmist so fully expressed his commitment to the Lord that the words became prophetic of the same commitment of the Messiah, Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 to verse 10, emphasizes the fulfillment of this prophecy in the person of Jesus Christ. This private commitment of the psalmist was also revealed publicly. It was not something that he just did inwardly. And verse 9 shows us that it was also a public a revelation of his commitment, verse 9 and verse 10 of chapter 40, the book of Psalms. This idea of innocence then leads naturally into the lament and the petition section of the psalm. And that petition section is from verse 11 to verse 17. The psalmist offers the petition as a plea for deliverance from his enemies. But it is wider than that. The psalmist is concerned about the triumph of all the righteous people. He emphasizes that in verse 16. So that's a wonderful psalm for us to be able to look at. Let's look at Psalm 40 verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. This is a proper psalm to follow, especially after reading Psalm 39. All of these psalms, by the way, go together. One leads after the other. That is, you will notice a continuity from one psalm to the next. There are those who feel that this psalm expresses the experience of David in his flight from Absalom, his son, and that it is accurate to a point, my friend. But I would like to say this psalm is quoted in the epistle to the Hebrews is a most remarkable way instead of simply limiting it to David who is running away from his son. The New Testament reference to this psalm in the book of Hebrews makes it extraordinarily remarkable. In this psalm, the one who celebrates in praise and thanksgiving the resurrection the triumph and the ascension is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the one who is celebrating. 
and he is awaiting his resurrection. And even when you hear these words, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. It even fits. This is truly a messianic psalm. It reveals that the death of Christ was not a defeat at all. No, no, no. It was a great victory. When he says, I waited patiently for the Lord, he is referring to his cry from the cross as he was there being crucified. He is waiting for the Lord's vindication. Meanwhile, God was working out his plan of salvation for the nations, for the peoples of the world. You and I included, my friend. Listen to the psalmist as he speaks prophetically for that day. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Psalm 40, verse 2. You see, my friend, Christ's agony and death is likened to a horrible pit, a pit of destruction. We cannot conceive how terrible the death of Christ on the cross really was. But when you read this psalm, anticipating what was going to come, and the Lord bringing him out of a horrible pit, out of the merry clay, and what did he do? He set his feet on a rock and established his steps. That again is even anticipating the resurrection out of the horrible pit, out of the merry clay. Listen again. He says, he has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and hear and will trust in the Lord. Psalm 40 verse 3. Now this verse mentions a new song. We have already read about a new song before and we understood that a new song is the song of redemption. You remember that when Moses and Miriam and the team crossed the Red Sea. Miriam led in the song and they sang a new song after God had delivered them from the Egyptian bondage. And the Egyptians were pursuing them, wanting to kill them. But what happened? You can hear Miriam singing. The horse and its rider have all been floating there on the seashore. Why? Because the Lord gave them deliverance. So a new song is a song of redemption. What is this saying? Anticipating the redemption story that will be completed through Jesus' death. Yes. And so we hear, men will hear and fear and will trust in the Lord. Now, what are they going to see? They will see the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the sight of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the consequence of it is that they will trust in the Lord. A prophetic psalm anticipating the Messiah's death and resurrection. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Psalm 40 verse 4. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ is the example of a man who puts his trust in God, who does not respect the proud, and who does not turn aside to the lies. What did he do? He fixed his eyes on the Lord. And even as he died there on the cross, his eyes were fixed on that mission which God had sent him to accomplish. He despised the pain that he was experiencing for the sake of the reward that was set before him. 
Psalm 40, verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works, which you have done, and your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Isn't that amazing? God has revealed what he thinks of us. How did he do so? He did so by sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. There will not be a cross on any of the planets out there in space. There will not be a, a cross on Mars. There will not be a cross on Jupiter or even on the moon. The cross was only here. And it was only here that the Son of God died on the cross. And how wonderful to think of it. And so you hear, many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done and your thoughts towards us. Isn't it amazing to think about it? With a whole world to take care of, with the whole galaxy of the this universe that we live in, God thought about you and me. And so his whole attention focused on the planet Earth. And he loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ. And with that, the cross came. Oh, my friend, how the cross reveals God's love for us because we matter to him. Throughout the Old Testament period, the Hebrews looked for a coming Messiah who had been promised from earliest times. In fact, that Messiah was promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where we hear, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The Messiah was promised right there. So, they described and celebrated this supernatural savior and ruler in poetry and song. The song that we are looking at, Psalm 40, is one of them. In fact, many passages are actually prophetic and messianic in that they anticipate the Messiah's nature and his work. The following is actually quoted in the Hebrews epistle, Psalm 40, verse 6 to verse 9. These words are actually quoted even in the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Here is the section. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Bent offerings and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. And your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O oh Lord, you yourself know. Well, this is a marvelous psalm that follows the preceding one, which reveals the frailty of man. In Psalm 39, we saw the frailty of man. And to have a psalm that talks of the Savior, following the frailty of man, it is indeed marvelous. And now let's look at some of the words that have been highlighted in the passage that we read. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Now I want you to notice how this is quoted in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5. It says, Therefore when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, 
but a body you have prepared for me. Is this a contradiction or what is going on? For us to understand, we need to consider the background to the whole subject under discussion. In Exodus chapter 21, there is a law concerning servants and masters. Now, according to that law, if a man became a slave to another man, at the end of a certain period of time, he could go free. But suppose during that period, this man met another slave, a woman, they fell in love and got married and had children. Now when time for the man to go free come, he could leave, but his wife and children could not go with him because she was a slave. So what should this man do? What could this man do? Therefore, the book of Exodus provided a way out. What this man could do is to decide that because he loved his master and his wife, he could not leave. Let's read from Exodus chapter 21 verse 6. It says, Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an owl, and he shall serve him forever. Now, come back to our psalm. The psalmist now is referring to this custom when he says, You have opened my ears, the bowing of the ear with that owl. When the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, he did not have his ear thrust through with an owl. He did not have his ear bowed. No, he was given a body. He took upon himself our humanity. He identified himself with us and he became a servant. He became a sacrifice. Thus, it was not his ears that were thrust through or it was not his ear that was bored. Instead, he offered his body. His body was bruised for us. So when you read that statement, it fits. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. God did not delight in all the animal offerings in the Old Testament, but they all pointed to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? This is wonderful to see how the word of God is connecting. Now, notice what Isaiah says, even on the same subject in Isaiah 50 verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. You see, this verse is prophesying the humiliation of the servant, but that servant is Jesus Christ who would come to the earth. When the Lord Jesus came down to this earth and went to the cross, his ear wasn't opened or pierced. He was given a body, and that body was nailed to a cross. My friend, he has taken a glorified body with nail prints in it back to heaven. He has taken that body, and he will bear those nail prints and scars throughout eternity that you and I might be presented without spot, without blemish before him. He has put on a blemish body so that my blemish body would be acceptable. He has put on a body that was pierced by the nail prince so that he can present before God a body that is without 
any wrinkle, without any fault. You see, he did more than have his ear bored. No, no, no. It was more. He gave his body to be crucified because he loved us and would not return to heaven without us. He gave the utmost, my friend. This is a marvelous messianic psalm, and it reveals the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ because he loved us so much. What should be your response? What should be my response to such love? And when I begin to conceive that this plan of God's salvation for me was planned long way back before I was even born. These Psalms we are talking about were written way back in the Old Testament before even an iota of all of us was conceived of, except in his mind. Yet he loved me so much. He loved you so much. And he went to the cross in order for you to be presented before God, holy without any blemish. That ought to lead you and me to a position of worship and adoration and thanksgiving to God and not even take for granted the ultimate prize that he paid. Now I move on to Psalm chapter 41. Psalm chapter 41 is a messianic psalm predicting the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. This messianic psalm was written by David. The historical occasion of the psalm probably reflects the betrayal of David by his faithless friend Ahithophel, who sided with Absalom when the latter sought to usurp his father's throne. And this is evidenced in Second Samuel chapter 15 all the way to chapter 17. Ahithophel, who was a trusted friend of King David, foreshadows the betrayer of the Lord Jesus Christ, Judas Iscariot, and is so quoted by our Lord himself. So this psalm opens with a blessing. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Psalm 41 verse 1. You see, this psalm opens with blessed, and it also closes with blessed. Isn't that amazing? It begins with blessed is he who considers the poor, and it ends with blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Now, the word blessed, as we have already seen, means happy. So that the Genesis section of the psalm, which started in chapter 1 to chapter 41, begins with happy and it closes with happy. In chapter 1, we saw how happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And now it was going to also end with happy is the person who considers the poor. That is as it were concluding and making a full package of the Genesis section of the psalm. Now notice the section that makes this even a messianic psalm. Psalm 41 verse 9. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Again, this is a reference to Ahithophel. But you can also see that it is Jesus' appropriation of this verse in John 13 verse 8 that makes this messianic. He said, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, 
but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. You see, Jesus quoted the verse as he prophesied his own betrayal at the hands of Judas Iscariot. And this is evidently the passage that Peter has referenced to in his statement recorded in Acts chapter 1 verse 16 as he was talking about the replacement of Judas Iscariot. He says, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David, concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Also, it is actually notable that Ahithophel eventually hanged himself, as uh, 2 Samuel 17 verse 23 shows. But by doing so, he made himself a type of Judas Iscariot, who also hanged himself. But we have something more here. Psalm 41 verse 10 says, But you, O Lord, be merciful to me, and rise up, that I may repay them. This verse is a reference to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Raise me up that I may repay. We have something more here. Psalm 41 verse 10 says, But you, O Lord, be merciful to me and raise me up that I may repay them. You see, this verse is a reference to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Raise me up that I may repay them. In this Genesis section, we have seen the death of Christ and his resurrection as well. But I want to make something startlingly clear here. The death of Christ saves no one. It is the death and the resurrection of Christ that saves. Had I disturbed someone? Yes, just his death alone does not save anyone. It is his death and resurrection. Paul explicitly defined the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 to verse 4. And mark how it is said here. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You see, without the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no gospel, my friend. The gospel is a full, complete package. Almost everyone has an opinion about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is from Matthew 16, verse 13 to verse 16. Now, that is a very wonderful confession that came from Peter. But it is also wonderful and noteworthy for us to realize Jesus asking them, Who do people say that I am? And then he says, But who do you say that I am. Jesus Christ is still asking the same question. Who do you say that Christ is? Because of the resurrection, we can say, 
Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Psalm 41 verse 13. Now, you see, this verse ends with a double amen. Each of the first four divisions of the Psalms concludes with a doxology. That is true of Psalm 72, verse 18, verse 19, then Psalm 89, verse 52, Psalm 106, verse 48, and Psalm 150 is actually a doxology in itself, constituting a fitting conclusion to the entire Psalter. The Amen, that word Amen, literally means, so be it, so be it. That Amen is found at the close of each doxology. Now, twofold in three cases stands as a strong affirmation of all that has been said. Now, Amen and Amen means that God put the finishing touches on the salvation which Christ worked. The finishing touches were put when Christ rose from the dead and when he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, the finishing touches were put. Christ finished the work of salvation for us. You don't have to add anything to it. But don't take away anything from the gospel by omitting the resurrection. Without that, there is no gospel. But I must also highlight that Psalm 41 is the final psalm in the Genesis section. It has been well stated that the book of Genesis is the entire Bible in miniature. That is, all the great truths of the scriptures are actually germinal in Genesis. Now, the first section of the psalm covers the entire book of Psalms in the same way because that section is also a miniature of the whole book of Psalms. While the book of Genesis concludes with a coffin in Egypt, this Genesis section of the psalm closes on a high note of resurrection. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? Resurrection concludes the story of our salvation and that is what put the finishing touches to it. There will be no other savior except the Lord Jesus Christ who died and rose again from the dead triumphantly on the third day, securing our salvation. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send a WhatsApp message or SMS to plus two seven seven two six four one four four seven five. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. I'll repeat that number for you. It's country code two seven followed by seven two six four one four four seven five. From within South Africa it's zero seven two six four one Four four seven five.